Tonight, um, we're going to start with a subject that, uh, let me just start with a story that'll get us into that. Um, anyone been to uh, London before? So, um, <laughs> get excited. A few months ago, I had an invitation to uh, go uh, with another friend uh, who in ministry and uh, invited to go be a part of 75 leaders uh, or 75 just friends in ministry that were over. Basically, you got a free trip to London. And, um, and so it was like, that's awesome. This will be great. And so we had planned the whole thing out and we knew we were going to go be a part of this uh, uh, kind of small gathering of, of uh, other ministry people from around the world. But even more exciting than that, we're going to be in London. This is going to be awesome. My friend had been on this journey for the last really 12 months around there where he had been battling some anxiety and some sleep problems where he'd had some heart issues that were going on in his life. And he was like, man, I just, I'm like struggling to sleep. He had just been battling some anxiety and he was really worried about sleeping because the sleep uh, difference, or I'm sorry, because the time difference being eight hours ahead, it can just kind of throw your whole body off. And if you don't get sleep, you can't enjoy London and just kind of, uh, that was present on his mind. So I'm like, dude, I'll be your wingman. Don't worry. We are in this together. If you're awake, I'll be awake. We'll be going around late at 2 a.m. in the morning. Go see London. I'll be there for you, and I'll be your, your wing buddy. And so the whole time up to there, I'm like, hey, praying for this, praying for you to sleep. And, uh, and uh, that was where we were. We get to London, and a couple of the funny things happen immediately. One, if you have been there uh, and you've experienced the hotel rooms, it's very different than, say, a hotel room in Oklahoma City. Because the rooms are like this big. And so you're like, literally, we're on two twin beds where it's like, hey, man, fist bump. I'll see you in the morning. And, um, and that's how close that we are. So it's like, <laughs> it's a very funny environment as you're scooting by one another to use the restroom. And so we're in this room. We get ready for bed. Night one comes. And all of a sudden, um, uh, he's not hit with anxiety. I am. And I'm like, oh my gosh, my wife was eight months pregnant at the time. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're eight hours ahead. I'm, I'm wired right now. I can't fall asleep. And, um, and thankfully, I was with this guy who'd been on this journey. So he pulls out like a tackle box full of stuff that he had been using to help sleep at times. So he's got like essential oils. We're rubbing on our wrists together. We're drinking some sort of like lavender tea, like in bed, just telling each other about, you know, intimate nothings. And... Um, and we're going through, like, true story. Even at one point, he's like, dude, I've got this whole relaxation tape. Just lay back, listen to this. And it's some guy who, like, goes through relaxation techniques where it's like, relax your pinky toe. Let's start here. Move to the next toe. Flex it, relax. And this ridiculous scenario. And it's still, I'm still going, oh, my gosh, I can't sleep. So poor guy, the one guy who actually can now sleep, despite having battled this for forever, is now in a room with the guy who's like, hey, JP, are you awake right now? Hey. You, you want to go up and see the town right now? And uh, what kept him from sleeping was not his anxiety, but mine. And, uh, and I start there because in the same way that anxiety can interrupt our sleep patterns, if you will, anxiety can have all kinds of power over our behavior. If you really think about it, I mean, it's such a weird thing because no one wants to be anxious, but when anxiety almost just reaches up and grabs you over something, it's hard to shake and can have tremendous power over your behavior, not just your sleep, like in that situation for me, but over all kinds of different aspects of life. Fear of not having financial means can lead someone to become a workaholic. Fear over whether or not I'm ever going to get married or Mr. Right or Mrs. Right is ever going to come along can lead someone to settle. And dating someone that clearly God says, hey, this is not who I would have you date. Worry and anxiety can have such an impact on our behavior, on our lives. Uh, often, really, anxiety, I think it's the pressure and stress and anxiety of our world that turns a lot of people to, 
in search for relief, they just, man, I need a beer or I need a bowl. And all kinds of substance abuse comes from anxiety. And the funny thing is, it's one of those things that no one wants this influence in their life. No one wants to have anxiety. In other words, what I mean by that is no one's like, you know what, that's really my pet sin. That's between me and God. You can have everything else, but I'm not letting, the anxiety is just between here. Everyone would be like, no, if there's a way to experience freedom from anxiety, I would love to know it. And so tonight, what I want to journey through uh, is Matthew chapter 6, because Jesus is going to indicate some uh, truths about anxiety, and then he's going to give us a remedy for the anxiety that can reach up at different times in our life and just feel like it just grabbed us out of nowhere. And he's going to lay a case for why as Christians, it's almost irrational and certainly unnecessary for you to worry. And he's going to give two reasons for that. And then he's going to give a remedy for you and I to begin to experience worry. Um, This has been like a journey I feel like God has had me on for the last six months. No, really last, even longer than that. And and this truth tonight is one that uh, I have learned firsthand, and I'll share a little bit about that in a second. But if you're in the room, if you've ever struggled with worry, which is all of us, I would just be like, hey, raise your hand, but then I would just expose liars or people who are like, I don't raise my hand, even when people tell me to, Um, which I know is like half of you, mainly the guys. And, uh, but I think it's going to be really helpful. And so I don't know what is covering your mind in this season, what anxieties you may be feeling, but I think Jesus has something to say to all of us. So we're going to pick it up in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. The verses, I believe, will be up on the screen. And we'll dive in to Jesus' teachings on worry. No one, starting in verse 24, can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and you're going to despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or your body and what you will wear. He launches into a conversation, and the first thing I just want to point out we're going to come back to towards the end is he draws a relationship between devotion and what you worry about. In other words, what you are most devoted to or what you are worried about reflects the things that you're most devoted to. Anyone inside of the room that's, that's uh, anxious about an exam, maybe you're a student, you have, a, you have an exam this week, you're anxious about, um, you know, how am I going to do on that? Um, you're probably not anxious about how your roommate's going to do on their exam. You may care, you may pray, you may be concerned, but you're probably not losing sleep over, oh my gosh, how are they going to do? I'm so concerned about it, in a way that you would be about yours. Why? Because you are more devoted to yours. And Jesus simply points out a simple truth that, hey, what we're worried about reflects what we're devoted to. Why am I highlighting that? Because it's going to Uh, be related to the remedy he gives us towards the end of the section. But before we go there, I want to launch into two questions Jesus asks that are really profound questions that he asks to his audience. He just addressed his audience's worries. Food, clothing, what you're going to wear, what they're going to drink. To us, to them, he's speaking to a hand-to-mouth culture. There's not refrigeration. There's not a, um, uh, what start, what do you guys have? Tom Thumb? H-E-B? Do you guys have H-E-B? It's the greatest of all grocery stores, and it hasn't made it to Oklahoma. That's an injustice. What do y'all have, Tom Thumb? Kroger? Whatever, whatever you have, they don't have. And, <laughs> and, um, and Jesus would say to you, hey, insert fill in the blank. Why do you worry about not food and drink, but whatever the worries that you have? And then he says this, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes? Isn't life more than fill in the blank with your worry? Getting into the right school, getting married someday, 
having um, parents with perfect health, being in the right career job at the right time, paying enough bills, living with that, um, having a roommate. Isn't life more, whatever the anxieties that are in your life, Jesus would say, isn't life more than those things? And then the second question, and can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life, verse 27? So he says, hey, isn't life more than those things? And besides that, worry is not helping. It's never helpful. It never adds to your life. It always takes. The first observation I really want to talk about for a second is just what Jesus clearly, the simple truth he lays out that worry never helps us. It always hurts us. Worry never helps us. It always hurts us. And if you're in the room, you're like, duh, I knew that before we came in here. He's just launching into the conversation. He's getting everybody on the same page. Hey, can we all agree this is not something that's ever really profoundly helpful? It's not providing any sort of uh, benefit into our lives. Can we all agree? And he's getting everybody to be on the same page as he just articulates. Hey, it's never something that adds to your life. It always takes away. And even the things that you're worried about that are taking up so much of your life, which is taking up so much of your time, which is life, isn't life so much more than those things? Which is so brilliant, because here's what he's doing. I mean, you could see it. He's trying to pull his audience back from the things that can get they can get so hyper-focused on, or, or any time that we worry, we can become so hyper-focused on whatever we're worrying about. It becomes all that we think about. It becomes, uh, we lose sleep over it. We're distracted when we're out with friends or we're out um, uh, at an event. We can be so focused on that. And Jesus is trying to pull his audience back and almost deflate some of the power of the worry. Isn't life more than food? His audience would say, like, if you had endless amounts of food, all you ever had for the rest, or you had food to supply for the rest of your life, is that all life is about? They'd be like, no, of course not. To you, maybe, maybe you are uh, hopeful or anxious at some level about, man, am I ever gonna get married? And to you, he would say, isn't life more than marriage? Like if you got married, would it be like, check life, that's all I needed, God, for the rest of my life, I'm a happy camper. No. Honestly, the only people who believe that are not married people. Because then you get married, you're like, oh, huh, yeah, isn't that great? Okay, it's amazing, but it's not life. I don't know what you're worried about. Maybe it's, your, maybe it's like, hey, am I in the right job, the right career path? Is life not more than that? Like if you were in the right perfect career path, which no one ever is, would that be all that life is? That's, that's all life is about? No, of course not. And he's trying to do what really um, still today, if you have ever been to a counselor, often they will attempt to do, which is deflate some of the power of worry in your life, helping you see past the immediate right in front of you worry. What do I mean by that? Uh, today, my wife is a counselor. And today, if you go to a counselor, they will often do a very similar um, version of this where they will attempt to help you, if you struggle with anxiety, deflate some of the power of worry in your life. And one of the ways they do that is just by helping you chase down your worries. For example, um, someone will come in and they're overcome with anxiety or worry in that season, and they're like, man, I'm just worried I'm gonna lose my job. And they'll just ask, what happens if you lose your job? Well, I guess I'd have to find another job. And what if I couldn't find another job? What if you couldn't find another job? I guess I'd have to, I don't know, find some sort of part-time work. What if you had to find part-time work? Well, I guess I'd have to, you know, get rid of my car because I have a car payment I couldn't afford. What if you had to get rid of your car payment and your car you couldn't afford? I'd have to get a clunker. Uh, what if you had to get a clunker? Well, I guess I'd be embarrassed to drive people around in my clunker. Okay, great. So let's talk about that. At the end of the day, you're really worried about driving around a clunker. And they'll just help you deflate some of the power. Maybe it's sleep. You ever found yourself like, oh, man, I, I, I can't fall asleep and now I'm worried about falling asleep and I need to fall asleep and chasing it down going what if you don't fall asleep I guess I'm going to be really tired tomorrow what if you're really tired tomorrow I guess that's going to be a really hard day okay what if you have a really hard day yeah I guess that's pretty much it okay 
I mean, just, and it's still today. I just saved you guys hundreds of dollars in counseling, okay? <laughs> you can thank me after, that's just for free. But Jesus is doing what's still today. Uh, thousands of years later, people recognize, man, it's, it's something that the human psyche needs because our worries can almost get so in front of our face. We think that's all that life is ever about, and he's trying to deflate in a brilliant way what his audience at that time was worried about. So his second question of does it ever add life, of course not. It takes up time, which takes up life. In fact, if you've heard of the Mayo Clinic, um, Charles Mayo, who started the Mayo Clinic, was famed, or famously said this about worry. He said, worry affects the circulation, the hearts, the glands, the entire nervous system. I've never known a man who died of overworked. I have known a whole lot, however, who die and who died of worry. It never helps. It always takes. But here's what's interesting. Even knowing worry doesn't help doesn't really help. Like, in other words, even knowing Jesus being like, hey, look, I'm worried. Why would you do it? It's not really good for you. Um, doesn't make any of us be like, you know what? I'm done. I'll never worry again. That's great. All right, let's close in prayer here. It's one of those things that even knowing it doesn't help is not really enough because it's like one of those things that grabs us. And trying to stop worry can be like trying to fall asleep. Just knowing it doesn't help is not enough. But the good news is Jesus is just beginning a conversation and he's going to go on to the next reason why as Christians we don't have to worry before giving us the remedy around that. And he uses an illustration too, actually, in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. Yet your heavenly Father, your heavenly Father, feeds them. Are you not much more valuable to God than a bird or than they are? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Side note, he does something really interesting. He draws a relationship between the size of your worry and the size of your faith. He says your worry reflects the size of your faith. And then he goes into the second reason. So do not worry, saying what should we eat and what should we drink or what should we wear? To you he'd say, so don't worry about where am I gonna work, where am I gonna live, how am I gonna afford to pay rent, who am I gonna marry, am I gonna be able to have kids before my biological clock stops ticking? Don't worry about all of those things. And he's not saying don't care about them or don't try and sit back and just have a margarita, chill, dude. He's not saying that. He's saying, like, work hard, be responsible, fill out applications, um, uh, be faithful in all the little things. But at the end of the day, you don't have to worry. Why? Because for the pagans, people who do not know God, who do not know that there is a heavenly father, who don't have a heavenly father, in the relational way that you, if you're a Christian, do. They run after all of those things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. The second idea that Jesus illuminates on the idea of why Christians don't have to worry is that you don't have to worry, God will meet your needs. You're a Christian, which means that you believe that God is the source of provision in your life. You have a heavenly Father. In order to become a Christian, you are someone who says, God, I trust you with all of my eternal life, I trust you with all of my life, and I'm putting my trust in what you did to provide for me on the cross by sending your son Jesus to die in my place, to pay for my sin. 
He died in my place and he rose from the grave. And all of my trust and my eternal life and really this life is connected to you being a provider in my place. You're someone who knows there's a heavenly father who cares for you and has promised to care for you and to meet your needs. That you and I, Jesus says, the second reason is because you're a Christian. You believe there's a heavenly father in heaven who will provide for your needs. Not your wants, but who knows what you need and has promised to provide for them. John Owen, who's essentially a, a, a theologian, a guy who lived a long time ago who um, uh, was a really brilliant Christian thinker, he had a statement that he, he said this. He said, it is irrational for a Christian to worry about the future because it is irrational, irrational to say, God, I trust you with eternity, just not with Thursday. I love that. God, I trust you with all of eternity. Here, take my life, everything, God. I just can't trust you with whether I'm going to get into that grad school. That's too big of a thing for you. He says, it is irrational to trust God with eternity, but not with Thursday. Over and over again, Jesus hammers his point. I mean, look at the text. Four different times he says, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. You know what the most repeated command in all of Scripture is? Anyone know? Do not fear. Scholars in this front second row. That's right. Do not fear. The most repeated command in all of Scripture is not, hey, don't get drunk, don't have sex, don't chew and date girls who do. It is do not fear, which is also probably not <laughs> bad advice. Um, I apologize to the ladies in the room who like to chew. Um, the most repeated command in all of Scripture is do not fear. You know how many times it's written in Scripture? 366 times. That is one for every single day of the year, including during leap year. It's as though God is trying to very clearly communicate a message. I do not want my people to live in fear. You do not have to be afraid. I've promised I will meet your needs. I'm a God who has promised to provide. You do not have to be afraid. I've got you. I've got you. I've got you. You're a Christian. You believe there's a heavenly father. By definition, that's what a Christian believes who will provide for your needs, who has promised, who has proven that by dying and by sending his son to die in your place, but has promised to meet your needs. Even the fact that he says, don't worry about it, clearly indicates that if he is good, he will provide for our needs. What do I mean by that? In other words, someone cannot say, hey, don't worry about it, and then not actually provide for you and be good. That wouldn't be a good God, wouldn't be a good friend. I mean, think about it. Like if afterwards tonight we were headed out, we're going to dinner and we're going to eat food and we're walking out and you're like, oh man, I forgot my wallet. And I was like, hey, don't worry about it. And then we get to the restaurant, we're eating food, we're sitting there. The waiter comes up and he's like, one check or two? And I say, yeah, two checks. And uh, what would you think? You said, don't worry about it. Hell yeah. I, oh, you thought I was going to pay for your meal? No, I just didn't want you to be stressed out this entire time we were eating and be able to enjoy your fajitas. I mean, I wouldn't say anything. I guess you'll have to clean it. I don't know what you're going to have to do here, but have fun. No one would say, that's a good friend. You know, I like that guy. Good guy. That's ridiculous. And yet if you believe that God is saying, hey, don't worry about it, and yet he won't provide for my needs, there's something off there. Even by definition, he's saying do not worry about it. I have promised I will provide. I'm a God who you can trust. I'm a heavenly father who has gone to such great lengths to even send my son. Will I not provide for the different needs that are inside of your life? 
Not that you don't need to care or try or any of those things. Do all of those things, but at the end of the day, you can experience a life Jesus is where you experience freedom from worry. I mean, there's no parent that we would say, even as a good parent, God's a heavenly father, he says. No one would say there's a good father out there who doesn't provide for his children if he can. Right? I mean, think, think about the links people go to to provide for their kids. Uh, think about the links people go to. There's a phenomenon going on right now in Dallas. I don't know if it's made its way to, to Oklahoma City. H-E-B hasn't, so I don't know what's made its way up here. But it's called dog moms. Anyone ever heard of a dog mom before in this room? Yeah. Um, any dog moms in the room? You identify? We've got two. This is for you, ladies. Um, there, there's something where, like, people will... There's a girl on, our, on my, my staff team that, like, she... Um, the links she will go to to provide for the needs of her dog are a little borderline neurotic, in my opinion. Like, uh, point in case, uh, she's already bought him a Halloween costume. And I mean like two weeks ago. Uh, she, the links that she'll go to anytime she goes to Target or the store, surely you guys have Target, um, anytime that she goes to Target, she's like, oh my gosh, it's not just groceries, it's a chance to get a new toy for my pet. She thinks of this child, or her, she would say it's her child, and she gave him middle names. I mean, what sort of, yeah, I know. But now let me ask you this. I mean, the Lynx point being that she'll go to the provider are just unbelievable. She's the dog sweater mom. Do you think that she loves her dog more than God loves you? Do you think she has a greater capacity for love for her dog than God has for you? Of course not. It's crazy. And Jesus is saying, you may not believe it, you may not be experiencing it, but I want you to know you can experience freedom from worry. And one of the second reasons why you don't have to live a life filled with worry is at the end of the day, whether you accept it or not, there's a God who says, I promise I will provide for you. I am a good heavenly father. I will meet your needs. You do not have to worry. Do all that you can, and then you can sleep good at night knowing that my God is in heaven and he has promised to provide. So Jesus lays out worry doesn't ever help. Worry doesn't need to mark Christians because they know they have a heavenly father. They're children of God. And then he gives what I think is the most profound truth on this topic in the entire Bible. And he gives the remedy for how you and I can experience freedom from worry. Here's what he says. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. The word seek first could also be put embrace first or prioritize as first God's kingdom and God's righteousness or God's agenda. That's what that would be. God's will for your life. Put that as very first. Let there be no competition for whose agenda is uh, in first place for your life. Your wants versus God's, there's no competition, it's God's. Seek first or prioritize first and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So Jesus says, seek first or prioritize as first in your life, God's agenda, God's will as it sovereignly unfolds in your life. And you'll experience freedom from worry. My third point from the text is that you will relieve your worries. You and I will relieve our worries by replacing your agenda with God's or for God's agenda. He's not just saying, hey, don't worry. You know, go on a mission trip and read your Bible. If you believe that, those are not bad things, but you miss the power of Jesus and what he's really saying here. Put as first place in your life God's agenda for your life. Put as on, on the throne the will of God, not the will of David, not the will of Sarah, not the will of Kyle, not the will of any, God's will and God's agenda for your life. Put that in first place. At the end of the day, that's what I'm most devoted to. 
Remember, devotion and emotion or devotion and worry are related. And Jesus says, and you will begin to experience freedom from worry in your life because here's the truth. I worry, I, I really don't honestly worry about my needs all that often. I worry about my wants. I mean, I think most even people, young adults that I run with that may not be the case here are less like worried like, oh my gosh, what do, I, I'm not sure if there's gonna be water tomorrow. They're more worried about their wants. Here's what I want to happen in my life. Here's my agenda, and I'm worried. Not that um, God is gonna mess up his plans. He's gonna mess up my plans. I'm worried that God is not gonna get it wrong by his standard, but really by my standard. The things that I worry about reflect um, uh, what I'm most devoted to, or said otherwise, my agenda, my kingdom. And Jesus says, if you will learn to embrace and accept first God's agenda, God's will for your life, as it unfolds in front of you, you will begin to experience freedom from worry. You'll begin to experience peace. But it's gonna happen when you would just say, man, Lord, I'm not gonna get everything I want. I trust and I accept you. As you work in my life, I'm gonna choose. When things don't go how I want them to, I'm gonna choose to trust you. Here's what's the crazy thing. We all worry about the things that we want. We all worry about like getting, at the end of the day, I'm worried that I'm not gonna get what I want. I wanna have kids, I wanna have uh, this type of wife or this type of husband, I wanna have this scenario play it in for. I'm worried not getting what I want. Which is crazy because, let me just burst some bubbles, you're not gonna get everything you want. And neither am I. Like, there's no one in the room who's like, hey, I'm going to get everything that I want. Like, that's insane. That, that doesn't happen. It won't happen. And so here's the truth. You're not going to get everything you want, and you can either have peace or you can not get everything you want and have worry. And Jesus says, the choice is yours. But if you will place and embrace first, God, I trust you. When things don't go according to my agenda, but it clearly according to your agenda, I am choosing to trust you. Not my will, but your will be done. And I trust you. I'm prioritizing your kingdom, your agenda in my life before my own. And Jesus says, you'll begin to experience. He calls us back to something he said 20 verses earlier. We're in the Lord's Prayer, if you've heard it before, where Jesus says, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, or holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth. That's in my world, in my earth, on the ground that I walk in. Your kingdom be done, your kingdom come, and your will be done in my life, in my world, as it is in heaven. Your kingdom comes before my kingdom, your agenda for my life before my own. What's crazy is he even models this, in case you're not following me. He practically models exactly what this idea that I'm talking about is. And the only occasion we're told that Jesus was overwhelmed. I don't know if you've ever felt overwhelmed before, anxious, overwhelmed in um, just facing uncertainty. We're told, we're told that he was overwhelmed with grief and he's overwhelmed and it's hours before he's gonna be crucified. And he's in the garden of Eden and he prays this prayer and inside of it he models exactly the way that he invites and calls us, commands us to pray, and what he did when circumstances were overwhelming. Here's what he did in Mark chapter 14, verses 34. He models the application of really this whole principle. In the garden meeting, uh, verse 35, going a little further, so he goes a little further, he's gonna pray by himself. He fell to the ground and he prayed that if it is possible that this hour would pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, Everything is possible for you. Will you take this cup from me? Yet not what I will, but what you will. I trust you. You and I will leave our worries by releasing your kingdom 
and replacing it with God's kingdom. God, at the end of the day, hey, Lord, you know how badly I want to be married. And you know that I'm afraid that if this relationship doesn't work out, I don't know what's going to happen, but if you, your will is me being single, I don't want that. And I'm praying that that wouldn't be the case, but if that's your will, I trust you. What, am I going to thwart your will? God, you know how, uh, how afraid we are that my mom is going to die of breast cancer. She's back in again. It showed up for the third time. And Lord, I don't know what you would be doing and why you would allow that to happen. But if that's your will, I trust you. I'm asking that it wouldn't be and that you would allow her to be incredibly miraculously healed. But if that's your will, God, we trust you. I had a friend who was going through and he had um, through some just accounting uh, mistakes that were made with his own company. Um, he was in danger, really, he owed the IRS a ton of money. It wasn't intentional um, fraud or anything like that. It just was like some accounting mistakes around their company. And he was thousands of dollars that he was going to be owed. And he was overwhelmed. He was so anxious. And we were getting together, we're praying through. And he's like, man, I could lose my house, lose my car, my company. I mean, everything. And I'm overwhelmed. And for you, this sounds like just a cheesy store for him. It's like, man, I can't sleep at night. And what's going to happen? And where is God? And he began to embrace this just idea from the text of God. Look, I don't, I don't want to lose my house. And I don't want to lose my job. And I don't want to lose all these things that I've worked for. But if that's your will, God, I trust you. And I choose to trust you. I don't know what you're facing. But if you want to experience peace, the God who is there is inviting you. When those moments come where your agenda is not getting done the way that you want it to be done, and God's will sovereignly kind of unfolds in front of you, and you're like, man, this is not what I would will. He's inviting you that you will experience peace. Not by saying, or not by um, hiding it or acting like you're not uh, praying that things would change. By beginning to say, God, I trust you. I trust you. Help me trust you more. You'll experience peace just like my friend did. And Jesus, who's there, is saying, look, I, let me say that. I think further, the reason this can be so hard is it almost feels I'm giving up control to God. Like if I'm just like, God, hey, yeah, you know, at the end of the day, not my will. If that's what you will, I'm fine. That's okay. You take it. It feels like I'm just like, God, you take control. That's fine. Just be careful with it. And that's such an insanity because you don't have control. And neither do I. Control's in a myth, so you're either going to have no control and peace or no control and worry. I mean, you go, go one more. Let's say today, um, as we're getting on the plane, um, it, uh, there were storms that were popping up. There weren't, but let's say that there were, and I was like, oh my gosh, should I get on this plane to fly up to Oklahoma City? That sounds like crazy. Maybe I should just stay here. Maybe this is not what God wants me to do. Maybe there wasn't storms, but go with me in this imaginary um, illustration, if you will. And if I was like, you know what, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to drive inside of the car. That's what I'm going to do. I could die in the car. I'm not going to thwart the will of God by trying to take control. I don't have control. You don't have control. And so Jesus says you can either experience no control and peace or no control and worry. I'm going to invite the band back up and, and close here. Um... And before I do that, he, he further tells us what Paul, the Apostle Paul, would later say around this idea. 
In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, you've probably heard it a dozen times if you've been in church anytime. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, or asking God, telling him what you want, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, that you will have peace, Paul says, that you and I are invited to go to God in such a way where we give him our request, and then we just say, I trust you. And when you do, and when I do, Peace is what we're told happens. Um, this past year, uh, as I said earlier, this um, principle in my life became something that not just a message would be done about or something that I had talked about uh, several times in the last 10 years, but it became all real in our life in a way that it never had been before. In uh, the first week of December, we got a phone call uh, in response to having done a pregnancy test. My wife we knew we were pregnant. We went and there was a test done and, um, and the doctor called at 9.30 on a Wednesday night and she said, hey, you're gonna have a little girl, but you need to know she's been flagged for a um, chromosomal disorder and it's not certain that she has it, but if she does, there's a 90% chance she will die before she gets to 16 weeks. And I know that you know, most of you don't have kids. Someday, maybe you will, probably most will. It was like a bomb went off. You ever seen Saving Private Ryan? You know those moments in the movies where it's like, and you can't hear anything, and you're just like, oh, there's a 90% chance. And then she said, and if she lives, she has this, she'll have immediate heart transplant. She'll have complications for the rest of her life. She'll never be able to have children. And all of a sudden, every anxiety and worries you would imagine of, God, we don't want to lose our baby girl. And, and if she lives and she has this, God, I'm a pastor, I'm in ministry. How do we afford living and paying for this and providing for this? Why, how would this be your will? And everything here of just like, God, man, we trust you. Hey, not my will, your will be done. All of it began to come into focus. And this wasn't just some preaching thing. It was life. And it put us on this journey where for the next nine months, really, God grew our prayer life. And we cried our tears and we prayed our prayers. And I wish I could stand up here and say every moment that was there was one where I said, God, this is what we want, but we trust you. I wish, honestly, I could say most were that because they weren't. And we said, God, we don't want to lose our baby girl. Every moment wasn't that way, but you know what was? Every moment we had peace was. God, we don't want to have our child die. And Lord, we want her to be healthy and live and know you. But if that's not your will, we trust you, God. Will you help us to trust you more? Because it feels like we're clinging on and barely hanging on. And every moment wasn't that way, but every moment with peace was. I don't know what storm God has you in. I don't know where you're facing anxiety right now, but I know that the God who's there is inviting you. If you will just say, man, I love you so much, I will die for you on a cross. There's no length that I won't go to provide for you, including laying my life down. I will provide for your needs. I will meet your needs and even your wants. I'm inviting you. You trust me. I love you. I'm a good heavenly father. Will you trust me? And if you will begin to embrace that posture of God, this is what we want, but I trust you. Your will be done in my life, in my kingdom. You will begin to experience peace. I'm going to pray, and I want to pray for some of you in the room. And uh, I want to invite you 
um, to do something that rarely ever I, I do. But if you're in one of those storms right now, I just want you to, as we close our eyes here when I pray, just raise your hand. And I just want to pray for you. It could be a storm. Um, every, it doesn't have to be a storm like that. It could be a storm like, man, I'm just worried about, uh, you know, Wednesday. I, I don't know what that is inside of your life because whatever storm you're in, regardless of it, it feels like huge. That's the thing they have in common. And so if you're there and, and you're at a place where, man, you just want to say, God, I want to let this go and I want to trust you. I'd love to pray for you. And then we're going to move just into a time of response and, and a time of worship one more time. So if you will, just everyone just bow and we'll pray here together. And then if you're at a place where you're just in a storm where you could use someone to pray, will you just raise your hand? Father, I pray for these hands that are raised and the hearts and the lives that they reflect, the stories that I don't know everything that's going on, but I know you do and I know you care. You've already proven that by dying in their place and giving your life. I pray specifically, God, for these friends that you would be bigger in their world and their life than the fear. You would be bigger than their worries. You would be bigger than whatever is fighting for their attention right now. That you would eclipse that, God, in a way that I don't even fully know how to ask for. But you would deflate them and you would increase inside of their life. That you would be bigger than the pain. You would be more real in their world, God, than what they're afraid of, than what they're walking through. And as they walk through the valley of whatever shadow of whatever, they would trust in you. Would you raise their awareness of you in their life, if nothing else, your nearness to them and your work around them and your presence, God, would you just raise in their own hearts and minds your awareness? Do that in all of our lives. Father, I pray for all of us, Lord, who if we're not in one of those seasons, we will be, that we would trust you. Would you grow our faith? I thank you, God, that for whatever reason, um, you chose to spare our daughter and she's healthy and alive. But had that not been the case, God, I pray that you would grow in me. And I, I fearfully ask prayers like this and pray them for my friends here. Would you grow in us a faith that no matter what happens, God, we trust you, your will, your kingdom for ours. We worship you now in song. Amen.